Stand as I read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, and hear the word of the Lord. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this day, the treasure of worship, the outlet and connection of prayer. We pray, O Lord, that you would bring your word home in power by the Holy Spirit, that it would meet faith in us, that we would hear your word, believe your word, and live appropriately in light of your word. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Soften our hearts to your touch, O God. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us today? Lord, speak. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Prayer is the breath of faith. Prayer is the breath of faith. And so just like faith, it is not prayer, right? Prayer isn't Good in and of itself. And I'm going to unpack this in a minute. But it's the direction of the prayer. It's the, the who are you or whom are you praying to? Because if prayer is the breath of faith, then every faith has prayer. Every, every religion has its set of prayer, has its liturgy, every cult, every... Every faith, but not only do the religions, but also so do the atheists and the agnostics, the the scientisms and the humanisms. They all have their form of faith, a, a way of articulating hopes, a way of articulating dreams, a way of articulating desires. If it's the breath of faith, then everyone has a sort of faith. Either you're putting your faith in the living God, you're putting your faith in some idol related to God, or you're putting your faith in scientism to be different, differentiated from science. 
You're putting your hope in humans rather than in God. But there's there's some sort of faith that you have. And I don't have time to articulate and convince you if you are in one of those unbelieving camps that you do possess a type of faith, but you possess a type of faith. And accompanying that type of faith, there is its own set of prayers. If you were to just go to and maybe... Uh, Maybe this is too old school to say go to the bookstore, but maybe just go to Amazon and type in self-help or type in self-esteem, type in self-betterment. And you will find a whole category that teaches you about positive perceptions and the how do you how do you speak about yourself and how do you speak about the world around you? Then we recognize that there's some sort of set of communication, some sort of prayer attendant to the faith that we have. If I believe that I am able to right the ship of my life, I'm able to pull myself up out of the dregs, or if there's some negative situation that I'm in, it's merely a matter of of saying the right things over that situation. That is a form of prayer because it's connected to faith. Now, I may have lost you in all of that. But what I want to I want to try to convince you of is is that Jesus at the very outset of our passage today, he does not begin by convincing his disciples and the crowd that's gathered there at the Sermon on the Mount. He does not begin by trying to convince them to pray. He begins with the presupposition. He's already presuming that they do pray. You see the difference? He doesn't begin saying you really should pray. You really should do this and you really should articulate your hopes and you should say say your needs that you should do these things. Jesus does not begin there. He begins by presupposing prayer. Because prayer is the breath of faith and we as people made for God in a fallen world will have some sort of faith. Jesus teaches in this passage, and it might sound basic and as it ought to. But he teaches us that prayer, prayer to the living God is central to the life of his followers. As I've often said, I I quote the Jonathan Edwards quote, right? That prayer is breath. It is our breath. That's kind of where I got where we started, right? Prayer is the breath of faith that we breathe in and breathe out. And as our understanding and our relationship with God expands, so does our understanding and use and expression of prayer. But as we see, as Jesus teaches us, it is not just any sort of prayer that will do. It's not just any sort of prayer that will do. And that's what I mean. It's like faith. It's not just that you have faith. What is your faith in? Who is your faith in? It's not just that you pray, but to whom are you directing your prayers? Because the nature of your faith will determine the nature of your prayers. The nature of your faith will determine the nature of your prayers. So this is a super, super Baptist preacher outline. Okay, I'm not always like this. If you're a visitor, it's not always like this. Okay, Um, but Jesus presupposes prayer. Jesus prioritizes prayer and then Jesus points or directs prayer kind of fudged on my my last P. But so he presupposes prayer. He prioritizes prayer 
and he points or directs prayer. And as I already said, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Whenever you pray, three times before we actually get to the Lord's Prayer, we have when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. And they're not identical in the Greek, but they're pretty similar in terms of, you don't worry about it. When, when you pray, when you pray, he presupposes that you are praying. Now, usually sermons on prayer and teaching on prayer you walk away saying, man, I really need to pray more. You kind of walk away with that guilt. And what I want to say to you is that somehow you're already praying. You're already living in this world with hopes and dreams and desires. You're already living with some degree of direction, maybe, or some idea of a direction that you would like to get on. And, And the language that you surround that dream and purpose and faith with is a form of prayer for you. And so the, the, the admonition here isn't necessarily that you need to pray more. Perhaps you need to question or examine the nature of your prayers. And then it, but to do so, you have to, you have to examine the nature of your faith. What are you trusting in? What's your dream? What's your goal? Where do you think you're going? And what are you believing about that? What are you believing to get there? How, how is this supposed to happen? And then the language you surround that with is your prayer life. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Must not be like the hypocrites who put on a face one way and who do not live it out. They don't believe it inwardly. And this kind of goes back to where we were at the beginning and at Psalm 103, that, that God save us from empty religion. God save us from outward prayer and not faithful prayer. But Jesus presupposes prayer even among the hypocrites, even among the religious leaders who pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they pray for a show. You've been, if, you're, if you've been in the church long enough, you've been in that prayer meeting, right? I've been in churches. It's a good church, so I'm not going to name it. It's not in this town. It is in this state. I was in college. That should shrink it down for you if you're curious. But um, the pastor prayed... And I should, I should have made a joke saying, I'm, 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 we're going to start pastoral prayers like this. Uh, where he literally prayed probably 15 minutes. I'm not saying that he's a hypocrite or anything like that, but it was a long prayer. For this Baptist boy, I was doing the, in college, you know, in college, I was doing, you lean your head on the, uh, on the hymnal, right, a little bit. But you, you got to catch it in the hairline so you don't end up, you don't pull up with a line on your head, all right? These are the secrets. And I was like, and you just kind of fade out. You fade in. This is confession. All right. I was there. I was kind of in and out of this extraordinarily long prayer. Um, and that, that's not necessarily what's going on here. But some people just want to pray for a show. And you get the system. You're in the spirit and you guys are praying together. And all of a sudden this person just starts firing off. Right. And you're like, who do you pray like this at home? Do you get up in your wherever you pray? Do you pray at home? And do you pray like this? And Jesus, when he's presupposing prayer, he's presupposing not just that we pray, but he's presupposing that there are bad ways to pray. That arise from a rottenness of heart. If what Jesus says out of the overflow, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, then that must be true also of our prayer life. Our prayer life should be the the clearest window into the status of our hearts. 
And so if we're out, if, if the only time that I pray is here in this pulpit in front of all of you, that makes me a hypocrite. That's not, it's not true. But the only time you pray is if you come. Now, all y'all come to Wednesday night. Some of y'all come to Wednesday night. Come to Wednesday night and pray with us. Um, but if that's the only time you pray, then that's not the way it ought to be because that's a faith that is dependent upon other people. You're believing that the perception of other people is the most important thing about you rather than what God has said about you in Jesus. Do you see, are you beginning to see how faith and prayer go together? If you pray only to be seen by other people, if you live a righteous life, and that's really the the context of of, of Matthew chapter 6, is that Jesus is saying, don't do things for a show. Because that tells you what your God is. Your God is other people. Right? If you're only doing things to be seen by people, right? At the beginning of the chapter, if you're only doing good works and giving away your money so that other people recognize that you're giving away your money and they applaud for you, that's all the reward you'll ever get. In the same way, if we're living a prayer life that is only visible for other people, the, the, say it this way, the prayers that people see amongst us, whether it's in um, in in. Wednesday nights or in community groups or when we get our Sunday school groups run, or if you're in some other prayer group, if the prayer prayers that other people hear you give to God are the only prayers of your life, then then your heart is there's something there's a disconnect there. Our prayer life ought to be like the tip of the iceberg. You understand what I'm saying? The part that's visible is undergirded by a big mass underneath the surface that no one else sees. It's undergirded by a mass underneath. But Jesus has to come in with this presupposition of prayer because prayer, just like us, is fallen. It's our prayer life suffers because of our sin and it needs redemption. It needs salvation. So it's not enough that you simply pray. It's not enough that you just say, hey, God, give me a good parking spot. Which I have done. Right? When I'm trying to visit somebody, y'all, I don't know who I need to call. But at Richland Hospital, trying to visit somebody there, I'm like, I don't have time to drive around for 25 minutes and then play bumper cars with somebody trying to get get into a space. So I literally have to, I usually park just to avoid all that. I'll park like eight miles away. And then just build up a sweat getting there. And then I'm sweating. You know, it's 95 degrees outside. And you finally walk in the hospital room and they're like, did you take the stairs? Or are you having some cardiac infarction or whatever it's called? Like, is something wrong? So y'all call Richland and say, just make some minister parking somewhere. It doesn't have to be right by the door. Just somewhere. Okay, anyways. Uh, so Jesus, uh, he, he presumes it, and he presumes it to bring up this essential thing that is distorted because of our fallen nature. Our faith, our hearts, our trust are bent away from God, and so we, we end up trusting other things. We believe if people speak well of us, then we must be okay. Or if we somehow accomplish and check off all of the dreams of this world, we must be okay. When we begin to peer into our prayer lives, we might uncover some idols that have sprouted up in the field. And that's exactly what Jesus is beginning to do. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do for you. 
If your life is meant to be a well-cultivated garden of the Lord, then that means that God's got to go in and do some dirty work, getting out the stones, getting out the weeds, getting out all the junk so that good fruit can grow. And so right now, if you're being challenged, saying, I only pray when the preacher prays on Sunday morning, my goal is not guilt. My goal is that you would know a better way. That there is a deeper relationship, a truer communion with the living God that is available to you in prayer in Jesus. So he he deals with it so that he can bring it up and say, don't pray like this. Don't pray simply to be heard by other people. Don't pray simply at the dining room table. Or at the breakfast nook. Or at the TV tray in the living room. Wherever it is that you end up eating. Don't just pray there. And don't just make it like, I had a friend whose dad, he's a wonderful man, but you put him in front of a food uh, to pray for the meal. And I promise you need, you need an interpreter because there's tongue. It's not literal tongues, but it's like, I don't know what you just said. (laughs) Lord, thank you for the, 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 amen. And don't every time, every time I'm assuming he's saying the same thing. I got the Lord and I got the amen. And so I got the gist. All right, so Jesus brings it up so that he can do some work in us. But he says in this turn in verse six, so he's the first one's presupposing don't pray simply to be heard by other people. But when you pray, this is a singular so that when you individually right, your relationship with God is an individual matter. It is personal, but it's never private only. It's personal so that when you go to God, when you pray, go into your private room or as the, some of the translations say, go into your closet Now, I don't think we have to take Jesus super literally here saying that you have to have a prayer closet. I know people that do, which is awesome. If we had extra room in our house, we might or just probably get full of toy kids paraphernalia. Uh, It's crazy. Uh, But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. This is subtly that the Lord Jesus is attending his command with a promise. Do you see this? He connects a promise with his command. This is how God often does it or usually does it. He he gives a promise saying, you go pray. Now, this, this could be the guilt part of the sermon. You go pray in secret. Full stop. But the promise that Jesus attends to it is saying, you'll meet with your father who is in secret. When you begin, you're trusting that God is the one who provides your needs. And more than that, that God is the one who satisfies your deepest longings. Then the way that you pray reflects that. If Jesus is my deepest treasure, then to meet with him in secret without anyone else on the planet knowing is the most beautiful thing I could pursue. I don't need, you don't don't need anybody else. You don't need anybody else there. You don't have to tell anybody else that it's going on because you've met God in the closet. Could you imagine what a type of church would be if that were the rhythm of all of us? What power and fountain from the, the, the fountains of power from heaven would, would pour out upon us if we were pursuing God in secret? And you, you see how, that's, how that would flip upside down this time. Because oftentimes we treat this as the bottom or, or, the, or the biggest part of the iceberg of our spiritual lives. 
When I get together on Sunday morning, I get my, I get whatever, however people say it, get my Jesus for the week and I run my race and then I run out by Saturday night and then I need a reboot. But imagine rather what our worship would be like, how, how your heart might be attendant to the word of God, how you might be, your eyes might be open to the needs of other people in the church and to the, the needs and the mission of God in this community. If we were attending with God in prayer every day, I'm not saying that you have to be, be in there hours and hours. I understand. There's a great quote by Martin Luther who said um, they were asking him, you know, he woke up ridiculously early like three or four, maybe earlier, I forgot. Uh, and he would pray in the morning. And they say, you know, Brother Martin, how, you know, how could you do that? He says, I'm too busy not to. I'm too busy not to. When you pray, pray like this. Before you worry about how your prayers sound to other people, I don't, I've had so many of those conversations. Pastor, I'm just not, I'm not comfortable praying in front of people. Fine. I'm not, I'm certainly not, I'm not getting on that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But when you attend to God in prayer and you find your father in secret, it changes your life. You you become absolutely, I don't care. Right? I don't care what you think of my prayers. I'm not talking to you. So Jesus presupposes it. He prioritizes it and he brings it into redemption, saying you pray not simply to be heard by people, not simply to gain something in this world, but you pray in order that you might gain God. It is a function. That's why it's connected to our faith, because it's it's an overflow towards communion. That we would live in relationship with God. That we wouldn't go saying, God, here's my 15... I've said this a million times. Here's our 15 minutes of prayer. Give me my Diet Coke. Right? If I just come and hit the button right, if I just come and shake the machine right, then certainly what I want is going to pop out the bottom. Well, if that's the way that you operate in prayer, whatever you want to pop out of the bottom might actually be your idol. Now, I'm not, this is is a subtle distinction. You need to raid heaven in prayer. Be in shameless persistence over for healing and for people being saved and for a true revival. You need to come to God over and over and over again because we've seen his will in his word for such things. But if all you're asking is that God would give you a spouse and that God would give you a house and that God would give you a car and that God would give you all of these things. Whatever you're shaking for might actually be your idol. But we go to, in prayer to get God. And this shows up again in verse 7. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. So he's already kind of dropped the hammer on the religious people saying, don't pray just to be heard so that you can put on your spiritual airs for other people. But now he comes to the Gentiles. And this is why I say prayer is a part of being a human. So he's already kind of come down on the spiritual people. He's coming down on the Gentiles who babble, who, who use a bunch of words. And be, why? Now notice why. Because again, there's a subtlety here. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. They use repetition over and over and over again because they believe that they'll be heard because they've used a lot of words. And maybe a lot of different sorts of words. 
But Jesus says, that's not the way with you. You don't believe that you're going to be heard with God because you have a lot of words. Because you go to thesaurus.com and you figure out 18 different words to, to say ask or want. Why? Don't be like them. Why? Why shouldn't we use a bunch of words? Why shouldn't we be concerned with ornate language and big theological terms so that we'll somehow because of such things, we will be heard by God? Verse eight, don't be like them. Why? Because your father knows. Because your father. That is a statement of relationship. And the father calls. Don't be like your father. I mean, be like your father. You're you're going in prayer for God. Do you understand that? If if you're going to get anything else, prayer is central to the following Jesus Christ because in prayer, we get with God. And that should astound us. But in prayer, we get God. We get personal relationship with the living God. And as an overflow of that, he might do such and such in your life, but you know that the such and such that he does in your life is for your good, ultimately, at the end of the day. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The greatest good that God has for you doesn't exist in this world. It exists in himself. That you would be weaned off the treasures of this world and find true treasure and satisfaction in the living God. And so sometimes as an overflow of that prayer, it's going to be hard. So that he teaches you that you could have everything this world has to offer and you won't be satisfied. You won't be satisfied. Jesus presupposes prayer and he prioritizes prayer so that we would know God. Tell you what, this will be a two-parter. We'll get into the Lord's Prayer next week. But this is because I want to leave you here. When you pray this week, because you're going to pray, I don't know how you're going to pray, but I know you're going to pray because you have faith in something. And as you pray, as you begin to articulate what you want in this world, what you want of your life, what you want for our country and for this church, begin to ask God to examine your heart. Am I really treasuring Christ here or am I wanting something else more? Am I believing that I can step on God in order to gain something that I think is above him? Because if that's the truth, then your understanding of God is much, much too small. God is the treasure. Christ is the jewel. He is the pearl of great worth that you go and sell everything you have that you might have him. He is the treasure buried in a field. Jesus and his kingdom. You sell everything you have in order to get him. So when you go pray, pray in secret and pray to know God more.
Just let that be your prayer this week. God, I want to know you more. Not just know more about you, which that that attends knowing him more. But that I would know you more. That's not that's that's my brilliant insight of the morning. And it is brilliant because Jesus brought it to us. But pray to know God more. And as you know God more, watch your life change. Watch your relationships change. As you're no longer trying to manipulate people to get you get what you want from them. Watch your workplace change as it's, it, it goes from simply being a place where you're trying to earn a wage into a place that the Lord has you. Watch your worship change on Sunday morning. As you have been walking with God and all of a sudden you come together with the people of God to sing out the praises of God. There's a deeper well of joy to be dug up there. But pray to know God in Christ. And watch the changes that will happen. I'm not saying it's going to be the changes will be daisies and rainbows. No, no, no. But I'm saying when you get God, let hell come. Let Satan do his worst against the church. Let the culture fall away. We have God. We have Christ. And as the song just saying, he is ours forevermore. We can never be divested of the treasure of Jesus Christ because he has held us in his hand. You can have full security and full joy because you are Christ's and Christ is yours. And dear one, if you do not know Jesus, I can understand how some of this might sound crazy to you or you might be arguing whether you pray at all. But I would encourage you. Examine the the language that you're using around your life and say, what am I really trusting in? And is it really worthy of my trust? And I hope you would find that in Jesus, there are open arms. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And it is only in Christ that we will find this rest. And only in Christ will we find our joy and satisfaction and hope and endurance and wisdom and everything. He is the treasure. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of prayer. Even now, where we together, our hearts are lifted up to you together. We know that we are called to pray individually and also collectively. But we ask even now in our corporate prayer that for every heart here, that Jesus would be the greatest treasure. That we would go into prayer hoping not for things, but that we would hope for you. Would you stir up true faith, O oh Lord, even now and this week as we pay attention to our language of prayer and what we're seeking? I pray, O oh Lord, that you would overflow us with your spirit, that we might be a church, that we might be individuals and a body together that longs to know you. And if we have you, Lord, we have everything. I pray for those who might not know you. Would they know that the guilt and the shame that they might now be feeling, those things do not exempt them from your kingdom. They only qualify them 
for your kingdom. That the only people Jesus saves are needy people. All of us come with our sin, our rebellion, our brokenness, our fears, anxieties. And it's only in Jesus that we are forgiven. That he came to call not the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. So Lord, would you save some? Would you encourage your church? And would you help us know you and know you more? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.